yo, it's your boy Agent Albatross here again with the Cypher Unlimited crew with some Cypher Unlimited live. Uh, we have Anthony or Spigs18, we have Dean or Alpha Dean, and a very special guest. So, uh, Dean, why are we here today? Well, today, you know, we're all happy. We got none other than the master himself, Sean K. Reynolds, the man that has been in this industry for a long, long time. He's done a little bit of everything, you know, bit parts and movies like Gamers, Darkness Rising. Um, he's done uh, Attack in the Darkness, freelance writer, chemist, you know, you name it. And Sean has probably done a little bit of it. And he's here to talk to us today from Monty Cook Games about staying alive, his latest masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Stay alive, not staying alive. Well, yes, right. Stay alive. Excuse me. John, how you doing today? Oh, looks like he's frozen. Oh, the disco there. is too strong. Hey, he's back. There's a four-letter word I'm going to say, and that word is Comcast. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry. Oh, boy. It seems good now, though. Sorry, everyone out there about our technical difficulties. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, Sean or Anthony or Dean or whatever. What are you guys saying? I'm just saying, we're here to talk about Stay Alive, which is a horror setting. We, we're dealing with the gremlin. That's all there is to it. The gremlins, goblins, and, you know, all the little uh, nasties are out to get us. Oh, man. So, uh, without further ado, Sean, what do you want to say about yourself to the world at large? I mean, most of our fans know who you are. You're, they're your fans, too. Um, but welcome to Cypher Unlimited. Thanks. Ooh. Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, I'm game designer and developer at Monica Games. I've worked also on Pathfinder and D&D and a bunch of other things. And I've been doing this since the 90s, which is a long, long time ago. <laughs> awesome. First and off, welcome back, Sean. Uh, this is your second time on the CU. We're happy to have you here. And um, I, I want to say, um, I know Dean knows this, but uh, Stay Alive was the the, when the new Kickstarter, you know, was announced, Stay Alive was the book that I was most excited for. And I just want to say that I am absolutely not disappointed. This book is fabulous, wonderful. Every other um, compliment you could give it, I absolutely love it. So um, I guess we'll lead into our first set of questions, if that's okay with you. Sure. You know, Stay Alive is, you know, it's a, a great resource for multiple forms of horror gaming. In the early chapters, you define many of the classic horror genres. You know, you have aliens, creepy children, body horror, zombies, and everything in between. You know, I believe you might have over 30 subgenres sub of horror, if I'm not mistaken, and you discuss them all in detail in the book. How much research and playtesting went into this project? And do you have a preferred subgenre for your own personal horror game? Uh, there was a lot of research involved. I watched a lot of, you know, old horror movies and new horror movies, uh, whether on Netflix or Amazon or whatever. Um, and I've got all sorts of book resources and old comic books and things like that. Um, there isn't actually a lot of game mechanics in this that required playtesting. Like, you know, oh, this is a monster. We know how this creature works. We know how creature abilities work. Um, we did do a bit of playtesting for the vampire stuff because that was kind of, a new thing but that also is kind of based on the blood shift or sorry the uh, the divine shift rules from the cyber system rule book so it's really just an extension to that nice and as for having a favorite um and that's hard to say but i i'm a big fan of john carpenter's the thing and of stephen king's it 
So, you know, get scary clowns and shape-shifting, body-stealing aliens. That's a pretty good combo. Oh, you're a man of my own personal heart. Uh, Anthony, it might be time to rerun that thing game now that Stay Alive is out. That was a yeah. fun game. <laughs> Absolutely. Fact, yeah, run it. And, you know, let's just, now we got a name for a lot of the little tricks that we were using back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, so again, like we said, this book is an amazing resource. You give lots and lots of details on how to, like, craft a good horror game. But um, something you... Uh, talked about is um creating your own spooky setting and something that goes into that is the five are the five w questions uh could you please tell our viewers what those are and why you feel they're useful to the horror genre uh sure i mean they're they're very similar to the questions that journalists use which is like who when why what and how and if you're trying to scare somebody, if you're going to have a horror sort of game, you need to answer those questions about whatever the source of the horror is in the game session. So like, what is causing this? How is it causing this thing? How is it affecting the characters? Why is it doing it? Because if the GM doesn't know the motivation of this horrible thing, the players are trying to figure out that thing's motivation so they can either escape it or kill it. And if you don't know as the GM, then they're just going to kind of run into a wall and you'll have to make it up on the spot. Uh, so really, it's just analytical thinking of answering these questions about whatever the source of the scariness is in the game you're running. Nice. Um, I don't know. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, I just want to make this quick little joke. But when I saw the first of five W's, I just thought of monsters that start with W's. Like, where, <laughs> which, white, was it Warlock? And there was a, what was the fifth one? Wendigo. Wendigo, there we go. I think those are the good five W's to go. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Um, so, you know, you guys did a lot of stuff and we, in that book, you know, of course, consent and gaming came out of it, which you, uh, co-authored with Shauna Jermaine, you know, for MB M MCG and you put it out for the rest of the world. That makes perfect sense why these two things would go hand in hand. How important is consent in horror games? And more importantly, how important is this for the gaming industry as a whole, you know, consent in gaming? Well, for horror in particular like you go to a horror movie or you watch a horror tv show or you read a, a book of horror because you want to be scared but you want to be scared in certain ways it doesn't mean you automatically want to be scared in every single way like if you went to a movie and you're like okay i know this is a movie about werewolves and the movie theater was like really into it and they decorated everything and then they just started throwing oh Oh, we froze. We froze for a second. Uh, sorry about the technical difficulties, guys. Hopefully he'll spring back into action in a moment. Um, it's funny because before we went live, he was fine. <laughs> yeah, that's a big oof right there, Keninja. Am I, if I'm saying it right, Kenjia, sorry about that. Well, basically... Oh, we welcome, back. welcome back. <laughs> I'm back. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, so the last thing you said was you went to the horror movie and the place was decorated in a certain way. And then all of a sudden they started throwing live spiders at you. And you're like, hey, whoa, I'm here to be scared by werewolves and stuff. I did not <laughs> sign up for spiders. You know, in the same way that you might go see a movie that has an alien invasion, but there's the plucky band of heroes and they have a dog with them. You're like, hey, I hope this dog doesn't get hurt in the movie because I don't. I don't want to deal with that. I mean, there's literally a website, doesthedogdie.com, that'll tell you, hey, does this movie have a dog in it that gets hurt? You can be like, I don't want to watch that. So knowing 
where your green lights are for being scared and for horror and where your red lights are is very important for a horror game. Um, and the whole consent in gaming uh, separate PDF originated as a chapter in this book. And Monty realized, you know, this is actually a big enough topic that it should be its own separate thing. Uh, but we do obviously plug into that aspect of it in the book and we'll be having similar sort of uh, consent gaming checklists for uh, Shauna's book about mental illness and for uh, Monty's book about fantasy, that sort of thing. Um, as for how important this is to the gaming industry, I, it's, it's really kind of amazed me how much this consent concept has spread because there are a lot of people who say, this is what I've been looking for the whole time. I wish I had this when I was a teenager and first getting into gaming would have given me a lot of awareness of red flags. And a lot of people are like, I don't need this. I just talk to my players. Well, you know what? That's fine. If you can talk to your players and work out consent issues, you don't need this checklist. The checklist and the X card and all these sort of things, those are just tools for making sure that your game experience is fun. And whether you use tool A, B, or C, as long as you are making sure that the game that you're presenting and experiencing with your players is everybody's on board, that's what you want. You want everybody to be having a good time and not getting actually like upset or honestly like triggered or, you know, deep down, I need to leave this table sort of level of visceral reaction. Gotcha. That's great. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a great point. I never understood the whole, um, well, I don't need this argument because others might. So why would it bother you if someone else needs something that you don't? Yeah. I live in a city that has great public transportation. Transportation. I don't need a car, so why should anybody have a car? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, I mean, that, that's really a, a good point. I mean, growing up, I never had a desire for a car, but that was because I lived in the city limits, like you said, you know, great public transportation, or I would walk or ride my bike. Now I'm older, and it's like, you know what? I like my car, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah, definitely a good set of tools that are consenting gaming, babe. Yeah. And it was well needed as well. I'll definitely add that on. We appreciate that. When, when I started reading Stay Alive, it quickly became evident that you're a really big fan of horror films and horror, I mean, um, horror literature, as well as I am. And all these guys know I'm a huge horror fan. Do you have a favorite horror film or book that you wish to share with us? And how did it influence Stay Alive? So as I said in the intro uh, of the book, like I did a report in my 10th grade English class talking about horror as a genre. And I pulled the clip of John Carpenter's The Thing where the guy is having the heart attack and he starts doing compressions on that. And so including with the end and, you know, the thing crawling away and all this sort of stuff. So like, even in high school, I was like, this is creepy and weird and messed up. And I love it. I just like to see how it, it pushes limits in different ways and pushes buttons. Um, I've been a fan of Stephen King's for the longest time. I admit that I've actually kind of fallen behind and haven't read anything since The Dark Tower, but you know, The Stand, I used to read that every year and just, I would get so into it that I'd start getting like psychosomatic uh, illness. I'm like, oh, I'm coming down with the super flu because I'm reading this book. Um, I would coronavirus. read- Yes, coronavirus now. Um, I would read it and you know, I it would be late at night and I'd be like, I have to close all the windows and the blinds because I get the feeling that there is something out there. I, I have a very strong imagination. So I think if you put those two are kind of like my favorite film and my favorite uh, horror book. Uh, when a local theater redid uh, 
the thing. Like Monty and Sean and I went to go see it live, and I hadn't seen it. Actually, I think when it first came out, I was too young to see R-rated movies. So it was the first time I had seen it in the theater. It was just a couple of years ago. Wow, that's awesome. Oh, that is an amazing movie. And uh, as these guys will tell you and anyone who watches our videos um, fairly frequently, I don't really watch movies, but I have seen The Thing, and that movie, A-plus, <laughs> very scary, creepy stuff. Such I a, like, watch, a... I rewatch The Thing once a year, and Dean and Al both know how I feel about John Carpenter, so <laughs> enough said. But, um, yeah, so uh, on top of all the uh, setting advice and all the stuff that you provide in the book, you also provide a ton of new creatures and ciphers. Um, we're, and they can, they're not only just for Stay Alive. They can be used in any Monty Cook game product, cipher system, Numenera, whatever have you, because that's just the nature of, you know, the product. Um, but are there any particular creatures or ciphers um, that, that stand out to you that you created for this? And um, you want to talk about your creation process a little bit for those? Uh, well, I wanted to make sure that like the classic universal monsters were represented in Cypher System. We already have the werewolf, we already have, uh, you know, the simulacra and the vampire, but we didn't have the creature from the Black Lagoon. And so I made a creature that's like that. And uh, the mummy, oddly enough, was never presented in the Cypher System with a full write-up. And so it's like, okay, well, what are we going to have the mummy do? And everybody, when they think of the mummy, usually thinks, it's like slow i'm wrapped in bandages you know <laughs> but if you watch like the boris karloff mummy movies and things like uh the mummy returns and that's sort of the, the modern mummy movies like these mummies are like powerful wizards or priests and they have all these other magical abilities and so it's like okay what are, like can we make the mummy like if the mummy was just basically a tougher zombie that's boring but by giving them the mummy this hey, this was a very important person when they were alive. And they have all this magical gear with them, probably. And they have all these magical, at least knowledge and, and perhaps some spells. And those things are what make the mummy interesting and fun to use in the game. Because yeah, this mummy might curse you, uh, but it, and it's gonna summon minions and maybe it can levitate and, and shoot sandstorms and crazy stuff. And it makes each mummy a little different in the same way that games like Vampire the Masquerade made you realize, hey, we could have this suite of, you know, five to 10 different kinds of vampires. Some of them focus on shape changing, some of them focus on being seductive, some of them are, you know, hypnotic or shadowy. Giving multiple options for mummies is a similar sort of thing. You can make each mummy unique and different and tell a different story with them. Yeah, I dig that a lot. And definitely, we definitely need a mummy game because that, those are some fantastic movies. I mean, I saw one of them, not all of them, but I did enjoy it. <laughs> well, one of the concepts I always liked about the mummy is that it, it, the mummy's kind of a tortured soul. There was always a reason why they became what, what they were. They weren't just like a mindless killing machine. Yeah, sometimes it was not even of their own re their own doing that they became the way they are, you know. But that being said, Sean, you know, we're going to jump right back in here. You know, throughout the book, throughout Stay Alive, you present tons of charts and tons of random generator tables. You know, the toolkit is massive, you know, for what the GM has to use to create and enhance their horror setting. So from the sample horror plots to the 15 horror modules, yeah, and that's what they call the basic mechanics, new mechanics that they offer. Is there anything that anyone that stands out to you or is there a favorite amongst them? Uh, yeah, so 
like one of the assumptions of the horror genre is that you have a lot of like slasher type films with you know freddy or jason or michael myers and the people who get killed in that movie do stupid things and die because of it like there's the old joke of like oh i can't believe they killed chris yeah i know I'm feeling really randy tonight, honey. Maybe we should go to this scary <laughs> bar and make out. And then they both get killed. It's just like, you know, why would people do that? And the, the reason is that you have to kind of go with the assumption of people in a horror movie live in a universe, a cinematic universe, where horror isn't a thing. And so they don't know all the tropes that we do. They don't know that when, you know, there's a scary noise in the house, you don't run into the attic, you run outside so you can get away. You get trapped <laughs> in the attic. So Stay Alive has a special kind of GM intrusion called poor decision mode, where the GM can just say, oh, you know what? You hear a weird noise and you think you're gonna go off by yourself and investigate that. When an experienced adventure would be like, I'm not gonna run off in the dark by myself, but when you're running a horror game, you have to go, yeah, my character's gonna do some kind of slightly dumb things because it's horror and you don't know any better. Um, and related to that is if your character gets killed, you don't want that player to not be able to play anything. So there's like the character posse option, which is, oh, you have a secondary character that shows up and can participate in the adventure or uh, go what I call ghostly helpers, which is, you know, the spirits of your dead friends who've been killed by the serial killer are kind of lurking nearby and they can still spend their subtle ciphers and their XP on your reroll. So it allows them, even though their character is not actively alive in the session, they're still trying to help you survive to the end of the episode that is definitely oh, that, an awesome mechanic yeah and you know it's so cool because i can i can actually label movies where those things come from you know because you know we're talking about john carpenter my, one of my favorite i i have a thing for werewolves you know or should i say were creatures in general i love shapeshifters cat people but remember an american werewolf in london his buddy you know <laughs> kept giving him all the assistance and insights and stuff. So that's just a beautiful way to, you know, uh, realize that in a, in the midst of a game. Love it, love it, love it. Love I, it. I also love the fact that if um, before, if a player character dies, they still have an opportunity to participate in the scene and it right. gives them enough time to be able to, you know, either draw up another character, get back in the game, you know, cause like with a lot of horror games, death happens. So there's going to be, you know, a little break in between. You could get a new character in there for them to play, and it still allows them to participate. Definitely you know, in the awesome. scene, all the action. Yeah, I just want to say another. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say another fun thing about horror is that oh, you can have one of the PCs get killed and then come back later, and you're like, oh no, I wasn't hurt as bad as I thought. But it turns <laughs> out that's actually like the killer disguised as your dead friend. <laughs> <laughs> Great double cross. I like the poor decision mode because growing up when we used to watch slasher films, we had like this inside joke that if you was a minority, chances are you were going to die dead. within the first 30 minutes. And if you, was a, if you was a female that refused to have sex, chances are you were going to survive the whole film. Well, like the Scream franchise just lampshaded that. They're like, yeah, there are rules to horror games. You know, the black guy always dies first and the virgin goes <laughs> to the end. And so they were just bringing that front and center. You just have to be aware of all these tropes of the genre when you're doing horror. Right. So um, we, we talked about the, the beginning, the first chapter of the core book. And um, let's talk a little bit about the setting, staying alive, uh, stay alive. Uh, Masters of the Night, 
you have an extremely interesting take on the vampire genre. Why did you choose such an iconic monster to base your setting on? And can you tell us a little bit about the setting and how is it different from other vampire RPGs? Sure. So in the setting included in Stay Alive, all the PCs are vampires. And uh, you can either start by saying, all right, folks, we're going to make characters and they're going to be vampires. Or you can say, all right, character folks, we're going to be playing the cipher system. It's set in the modern day. And in the first session, they wake up having been abducted and turned into vampires. And they're like, what? I'm a vampire? What the hell is going on here? Um, vampires are fun. You know, they're, they, they kind of wax and wane in our, our public consciousness. So we'll have like a bunch of movies come out that are vampires and they kind of fall out of favor for a while. Oh, looks like he cut off for a moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, vampire is very exciting stuff. Like this Masters of the Night. Awesome. Oh, he's back. <laughs> All right, like, Sorry, guys. Uh, no, nah, no worries. Um, no, we blame Comcast. We're, we're, we're going to have a stern talking to them. <laughs> Good. Um, so yeah, anyway, vampires, they, they get more popular and then they get less popular. But like I've always enjoyed vampire stories. Uh, and heck, Monty and I worked on the World of Darkness D20 supplement by White Wolf. So obviously I've been involved in vampire stuff and very aware of this idea that vampires can have a bunch of different kinds of abilities. But in doing this for Stay Alive, I didn't want to make a setting that was just a copy of the World of Darkness. That would be boring and un unoriginal. Um, and with the World of Darkness, you are these little lobby vampires and you're having to deal with this infrastructure of all these more powerful vampires that are running the city and you're just the peons. So I said, well, let's flip that on their head and say, all right, you're lobby vampires, yes, but all the other vampires are gone. They've all disappeared. Nobody knows where they are. So you literally are like, okay, we're kind of like vampire superheroes and we are the badasses and we're the bad guys. Like this, this game... The setting says, hey, look, you are vampires. You hunt people for their blood. Um, in Vampire the Masquerade, you're like, well, I'm trying to balance my humanity versus the beast, all that sort of stuff. No, in this game, you're like, you are people who hunt and drink the blood of other people. And you might tell yourself at first, well, maybe I'll just hunt criminals. Maybe I'll just hunt this and that. But eventually you're like, well, I'm getting kind of hungry, and there's a homeless guy sleeping over there. And you just, it's this progression of eventually <coughs> understand and accept that you are the bad guys here. And the starter bit of the setting is that you end up working for this drug lord who created you. Like you wake up in this room and he says, he, he, there's a letter left there that says, you are vampires. I made you, I have to be away for some business for a while. I need you to run my operation while you're gone. So not only are you vampires, you're immediately thrust into a position of authority over an organization that's already in place. And so you just start running things, which I think makes it very different than uh, something like Vampire the Masquerade. But there is something else going on because all those vampires did disappear. And over the course of the, the starting part of the setting, you're figuring out that, hey, I think something killed all the other vampires. <laughs> and are they going to come after us? So it's a question of like, do I gear up? Do I get all super sneaky? Um, we actually play tested this at the MCG Summit last year. So we had Bear and Darcy and Shauna playing uh, these these vampire characters that I made. Uh, they and those characters do appear in the book. They're the ones who actually have an illustration and a character sentence. And I need to actually update their stats to the release version of the game just so we can have some pregens for the book. But I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. Awesome. But um, 
Yeah, speaking of characters and, like, you know, these interesting, you know, you said you, you are the badass vampire in this setting, right? So, you made, you created an easy way for characters to feel that supernatural power with the introduction of blood shifts, vampire gifts, bloodlines. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your thought process when creating these original mechanics? And do you feel like they really captured the essence of a vampire using the cipher system? Well, as you know, the cipher system, uh, the main places you get your abilities from are from your type and your uh, focus. But I wanted vampire to be a separate thing. I didn't want you to have to be like, I am a vampire warrior who uh, drives like a maniac. I wanted you to be able to be a, a somebody who drives like a maniac who's also a vampire. And so all the vampire stuff ended up being completely separate from that. And the Blundlight abilities are basically modeled off of all the different types of vampire stuff that we expect from folklore and from modern vampire gaming. You know, you can be the seductive vampire, you can hypnotize people, you can change shape, uh, you can turn into shadows, that sort of thing. And these abilities are kind of traditionally grouped into categories. There's like the shadow category and the shape-changing category and the I'm good at manipulating people category. And the cipher system, the tier setting, you only have six tiers and I didn't want it to kind of be in a situation where, okay, I picked one shadow ability, so that's all I'm going to do. Because I think it's more cool if you can say, yeah, you know what, and, and, and Cyber System does this a lot, is you get to pick and choose from all over the place. You can be a warrior who bears a halo of fire, and you can be an adept who bears a halo of fire. And so those combinations are good. You can make a warrior who's got shadow vampire abilities. You can make an adept who's got shape changer abilities. And it's just being able to Pick whatever pieces you want and have to not have to be stuck in like a power tree was my goal and um those abilities fit very nicely into how we kind of build cipher abilities because all of them are just based on having points in your pools and then having the the power shift mechanic which is what we have for superheroes in the csr and bruce used that also for gods of the fall setting um that is an easy way to just say, hey, my vampire is really good at stealth or is really good at healing or really good at not taking damage. And so every vampire gets these power shifts, these blood shifts. And because part of the fun of being a vampire player character is that you can attack other people and drain their blood, you drain blood and you kind of get in the book you get a temporary blood shift. So you could say, all right, I'm gonna drain this person's blood. And so I now have an extra blood shift for an hour. I'm gonna use that to be stealthy. So you could be like, drain somebody, zoom, stealthy. Or if you're really hurt, drain somebody, spend that to heal yourself. Drain somebody, spend it to heal yourself. Basically because the one of the blood shifts is you get an extra recovery roll. So you could just be like, yeah, my temporary thing is I'm gonna get a recovery roll and I'm gonna use it right now. Like there could be a situation where a vampire would go through like four or five people's worth of blood and just heal from nearly dead up to full, which just makes vampires in general and vampires P vampire PCs a fun sort of, oh yeah, I can directly see how my vampire powers heat into blood and make me more powerful than a regular person. Because also you can start as a tier one vampire who's just you know a regular, hi, I'm a expert who drives like a maniac, but you add a vampire to that and suddenly it's like, oh yeah, I can beat up some you know, fourth or fifth level creatures pretty easily because I'm a vampire. I wanted to have that level of, I'm a badass, I'm tough, cops can shoot at me and I can dodge their bullets or just soak them, it doesn't matter. That's that's a cool feeling. It's cool to let players feel like they are tough. 
I really love the vampire gifts and bloodlines. It adds additional options for the players. And who doesn't like options and character creation? And it makes every vampire different and unique. You could have a similar sentence, but with the vampire gifts and the bloodlines, you could play an entirely different type of vampire, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, I always love that stuff when it comes to Cypher System, how you can have two characters who are kind of similar at the base, but then you have the flavors, and in this setting would be the bloodlines, you know, that sort of stuff we just talked about. And they can have literally the same exact sentence, but then these flavors and bloodline shifts and whatever have you makes them completely different. That's It's so awesome. Well, And then you have different... Yeah. I'm sorry, Dean, I'll just, just say, and you also have the aversions. Like, you could have a vampire that is... Right like really allergic to garlic and one that isn't affected by garlic at all. So they're going to have two very different reactions to an encounter that you put like, there's an encounter in there where there's a bunch of NPCs and they have a very garlicky pizza. <laughs> and so the, the, the garlic averse vampire is just like, I can't go near that. <laughs> right. And see, I was going to say too, with something else that I like to say, when you guys, when you said it's a toolkit, when, you know, um, you guys, MCG said these books are going to be toolkits as well as settings. You didn't lie because not only did do you do this with the vampires, but see, it changed my paradigm and my thought process because now when I'm, you know, looking at monsters and stuff, I kind of explode the monster away from the character type foci and everything else and put those ideas down. Because you know what? I, I'm working on a list right now so I can have werewolves. Because, like I said, I, I love were-creatures. So I want were-creatures. And I want them to be, you know, were-creatures all the time. So, you know, they have these abilities over here, but then you have your type abilities. So, you know, thanks, Sean, for the inspiration. You know, great stuff. You know, and speaking of inspiration, you know, we look at the uh, three cypher shorts that you put in, plus the setting. Now, when you wrote those adventures, um, were they designed to kind of be run consecutively, kind of to lead into something, or do you want them to be standalone, or did you, you know, or any combination thereof? So the idea of the Cypher Short is just something you could quickly set up and run as a one-shot, and they are not meant to be connected. You could definitely connect them if you wanted to, but they are all meant to be like, hey, here's a group of people doing... Uh, traditional horror movie things. There's the, hey, there's an axe murderer at a camp in the woods. Uh, there's a zombie outbreak in a hospital. And there's a haunted house. Like, those are like three very common, oh, we're gonna, it's, it's Halloween, we're gonna have a spooky game. Okay, we're gonna play a, a spooky haunted house or adventure. Um, but I mean, because it's the cypher system, you could do just about anything. Like, you could actually use those cypher shorts in in the Masters of Night setting. So you'd have vampires showing up and be like, why is there scary stuff going on in this haunted house? Why is it, oh, there's an ax murderer chasing us. Well, we're totally fine. Oh, he's got holy water, run. <laughs> nice. Now you wrote all three cypher shorts, correct? You wrote all three adventures? Yes. Well, 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 this has been like pretty doggone awesome, so. I mean, I'm gonna throw it out there. Hopefully you can run us through, maybe we can stream it. We can play one of these games for, I'm good for that i am definitely down or maybe anthony you can run him as a player through your thing game <laughs> yeah or we can oh, he'll, he'll know all the uh, all my little cliche and your references and stuff yeah, yeah. stuff that was lost on me even though i've seen it my memory is trash <laughs> so um real quick you know before we get into the fun stuff uh, our viewers out there, anybody out here on Twitch with us, you, if you got a question for Sean or, you know, 
you know, do you get anybody have a question? All right, you know? so it looks like we do have a question from Mr. Fizzer. Um, they ask, were there any things that didn't make it into the book that you liked but couldn't find a way to make them fit? That's a great question. That is an excellent question. I mean, there's a lot of, we do a lot of planning when we prepare for these books. And so I had an outline. I knew that I had 224 pages to fill. Um, initially, I was thinking that some of these sections might be longer, like, hey, werewolves could be a section on lycanthropes instead of just werewolves. And so that might be 10 pages. But that ended up cutting into other parts of the outline. So, you know what, if I did that, I'd probably have to cut, like, scary aliens and creepy clowns and this and that. And so there's a lot of things that never got to the, I'm going to design 10 pages of this and have to cut it. It was all planned in advance of, okay, I have exactly two pages on all of these. And the thing is, this is technically just the first MCG published horror book. Like we could do another one. Like one of, one of the few complaints that I've heard about this book so far is that it didn't have enough about werewolves and lycanthropes. We could easily have a book that has more stuff, like which is what Dean is doing, exactly. That has a whole bunch of different ability options for lycanthropes or for mummies or for aliens or whatever. It's just, I only had 224 pages. And I say only because it's actually the literally the largest book, solo book I've ever done. So that was like a kind of a big landmark for me. But I mean, there's only so much we can write and there's stuff that I could write more about, but I'd have to go to different books. I mean, I really appreciated that you touched a lot on a lot of the horror subgenres that doesn't necessarily get the attention they deserve. You know, I, I like the spooky children, and you know, and you they they don't get the write up as you know. There's a ton of um, RPGs that deal with werewolves. Or well, vampires, you know, that, be, or, yeah. that, that being said, too, with all the, I really liked the way you broke the genre, the subgenres down, and. You know, I know they were only a, a page or two a piece, but it was actually, they're actually full and meaty. They give you a lot to work with. So, you know, of course, you know, we're the people who are going to tell you, do more. We want more, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you did a great job with what you had to work with. So thank you very, very much for that. It is quite you know, an excellent book. <laughs> I did think of one thing that I didn't get a chance to write that I, I really wanted to is when I was planning all those subgenres, one of them was because you know, we have J horror and K horror as a list. So Japanese style horror and Korean style horror. And with movies like Get Out and Us, like people are realizing, hey, there is actually a genre for African American horror stories. But, you know, we don't have a lot of those. And as a person who's not African-American, I wouldn't want to be like writing and stepping on toes of people of color who do want to write about that. But I think that would actually be a really cool topic for people to do more material on, looking at it from that perspective and presenting it with their their interests. So that's, that is one thing that I didn't get a chance to write for this book. And, you know, believe it or not, um, Sean, that is a pretty extensive category. It's just very low budget. So most people don't know about it. Because I can take you all the way back to like movies like JD's Revenge, and the Blackula series, and um, you know things. The Blackula like series was great. It, exactly, and I mean they tied that right into the, to Dracula, mm. which would you know, which a lot of people don't know about. But you know, good idea. Maybe that's something else for me to write. <laughs> <laughs> you, you also didn't put in the whole Italian horror, you know, the right. Italian yeah. horror, um, zombie movies from the early eighties. Oh, you know, yeah. they Spiria, had a ton of, yeah. Asperia and all of those, you know, 
or for that matter, then we got to talk about Guillermo del Toro because mm-hmm. his whole, uh, you know, that that whole Spanish thing that he does. Uh, Bunny of Doom said, not a question, but I'd like to let Mr. Reynolds know and everyone at MCG as well that y'all at Cypher Unlimited know how much I appreciate all the creativity and work you have done to bring me such joy after 10-year hiatus from gaming. Much respect. Oh, I really appreciate that. Welcome <laughs> back. Welcome back. Exactly. Yes. And after 10 years of not gaming, I believe you chose or, you know, you fell into the right, uh, what you call it, books or games to play because just outstanding. <laughs> And the right time to be gaming. Like Dean always says, this is like the platinum age of gaming right now. Exactly. Gold press latinum if you want to go a Star Trek re- re- reference. This is the gold press latinum age, people. Uh, I got a good question from Burst of Hope. What's up, Jess? If you had to pick two people from MCG team to dress up in a giant thumbsuit and wrestle, who would you pick and who would win? <laughs> Uh, I would pick Bruce because he works out like a madman <laughs> in shape. And I would pick Charles because he has military experience. Oh. So who, I, who, yeah, who do you think would win that one, though? I think Bruce would win just because he still spends a lot of time working out and Charles spends a lot of time managing various things at his computer for MCG that don't give him time to work out. Nice. <laughs> nice. That was pretty awesome. Great question. <laughs> Where's the hope? <laughs> oh All man. Right. But well, um, yeah, <laughs> man, and we'll, we'll take a couple more if y'all got any. Um, but yeah, that was an amazing question. <laughs> she said, "Beautiful answer." <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if no one has any other questions, um, I guess we can move on to our fun little game that we're gonna play. Yeah, yeah, um, since you're a repeat oh. visitor on Cypher Unlimited, you've already done our rapid Hold fire on. questions. Hold on just a second. Yes. Mr. Fizz, Mr. Fizzer actually threw one. He said, how did the horror mechanics develop during the writing of the book? That's a pretty good question. Uh, well, it was really just kind of looking at weird things that happen in horror movies that the GM can kind of hand wave, but could benefit from having some specific examples and and concrete ways of doing things. Like the horror mode from CSR talks about escalating stuff and the book talks about escalating beats and giving you a rest and that sort of thing. Um, possession is a pretty common thing in you know ghost movies and demon movies and we don't have a, a specific set of rules for possession. Um, cursed items is things that comes up a lot. We don't have that. So it's, it was really just me looking at different genres and saying, oh, this thing happens a lot we and, and the system is nice we can just you can just say oh it has a level and there you go but having more specific examples of oh should this be checked every minute or every hour and like if you are a possessed person do you have any memory of being possessed or are you just kind of like in a dream or are you asleep so like a lot of it is just talking to the gm and saying these are things you should think about and make decisions about for what you're doing in this game Nice. I, I have a question I just thought up. Um, you had spoke about playtesting with the MCG team. Did you TPK the MCG team? No, uh, but oh. in the uh, in the camp 
Myrtle Hoboken uh, cipher short, which is there's an axe killer on the loose. Uh, I legitimately scared people. <laughs> We're at Monty and Shauna's, and it's Monty and Shauna and Bruce and I playing for our, the design team. And it's in the middle of the day, and you know it's bright and sunny out, and just people start dying. And Bruce is like, "I'm legitimately scared here." <laughs> nice. So I was quite proud of that. I'm like, "Okay, good. The fact that I can, you know, scare Bruce, who is, you know, he's Bruce is just so steady, <laughs> pretty unflappable. But like when an NPC just gets murdered in front of him, Bruce is like, "That's, that's <laughs> awesome. Did that just happen?" <laughs> So that's, that's the thing of a horror beat. Like you, you hear you're doing like a serial murderer sort of story, and you hear scary noises out there, and then somebody comes running out of the dark, and you're like, "Oh, it's our friend Bob." Okay, good. We're not be scared. And then the serial killer shows up and just murders Bob in one hit. Like crap. Okay, I am scared. No, that's just managing, keeping you off your toes for horror. That's just that unsteadiness is part of the appeal. That pretty awesome. No, before we jump into our our new game with you, um, Natan, you said, hey, guys, for a person starting with Cypher System, how would you suggest getting into horror scenarios? Listen, real quick, real quick piece of advice. We'll let Bruce give you one. I mean, Sean. Sean (laughs) Talk about Bruce too much. (laughs) Yeah, no, let Sean give you one of his. But the biggest thing I would tell you is, you know, stay on Cypher Unlimited Discord and uh you know look for one of us to actually throw out there we'll probably try to do the cypher shorts that are in the book just to get people started those could be running a couple of hours i mean that that's what i was going to say uh pick up stay alive and uh look through the cypher shorts and they'll give you a great idea of how to run and how to play quick uh horror scenarios and Correct. my advice, um, again on top of having the stay alive book because it is an excellent resource for the horror genre is um consume uh, like a horror genre or movie book whatever have you that you enjoy and try to play off the story if you're if you're uncomfortable with creating your own story from you know if you're new to cypher new to role-playing games whatever have you there's nothing wrong with picking a part of story that you already know and like from a movie or a book or whatever have you and going from there right and i talked in the book about how horror movies turn into franchises and so the idea of doing a sequel is totally fine. If you really love Nightmare on Elm Street, run a Nightmare on Elm Street game. And so the PCs are teenagers and they're having bad dreams and Freddy's coming after them. And you could use the exact same plot as any of those movies. And even if the players are familiar with it, it's going to be a fun and new experience because they're going to act differently than the characters in the original story do. Or maybe they even heard like, oh, I heard that this guy, Freddy Krueger, he's a, he haunts your dreams and he kills you. And he killed a bunch of kids in my hometown last year. And so your characters could be people who know about enough horror tropes about Freddy Krueger to have some sort of insight, but it's still going to be scary and unique to your game. Uh, Mr. Fizzer asked if we ever played 10 Candles. I have not, and I I'm have dying not. to. <laughs> if, um, yes. You know, majority of my gameplay is online nowadays, but uh, I would love to get a group together to play 10 Candles. Gen Con? Gen Con. Gen Con. <laughs> Gen Con, that's a, that's something for Gen Con. Um, have you ever so, played I mean, Ten Candles? Once. Sean? No. Sean, though? No? All right, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think we can move on to the... Uh, I think I'll let you go into introducing what we're doing. All right, since Sean, you're, you know, return visitor to the Cypher Unlimited uh, channel, you've already done a rapid-fire question. So you've experienced and survived those tough, uh, difficult questions we saw. Um, 
we make all our guests go through. We, we de decided to change it up a little bit like we did with Darcy on her return trip, and we created a new game for you to play. This game is called Would You Rather, and we're going to give you a choice of two options, and you let us know um, which one would you rather. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, the first question is, would you rather try to escape from Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th or Michael Myers from Halloween? <laughs> I wow. <laughs> I, would what we were looking for. I would say Michael Myers just because he walks really slow and I'm pretty fast. <laughs> good answer, good answer. Oh um, he's emotionless. And, or they're both kind of emotionless. And the Jason thing, like if you avoid the woods, you should be pretty safe. I mean does I mean again I don't watch many movies, but isn't there one where he goes on a spaceship? Yes. <laughs> He, he also kills to the Manhattan. He goes to Manhattan. He oh, yeah. oh boy! I mean, it's almost like the horror version of Ernest. <laughs> but either way, <laughs> um, yeah, that's gonna happen now. That's you gotta run into the Ernest horror game. <laughs> but either way, either way, either way. Uh, would you rather curl up with a good horror movie or a horror novel? Just, I would say movie, just because. Like, I, it gives me two hours to get in and get out, and then I'm done. It's hard for me to set aside time to write stuff or read stuff that isn't related to a project that I'm writing. But I could, like, spend a couple hours going to see a scary movie with my girlfriend, and she'll, like, hide her face from a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, we saw Midsummer, which was just terrifying and weird. Um, but my girlfriend is of Swedish descent, and so she's like, that's, like, what our people do. This isn't scary. So, <laughs> that's hilarious. Wow. So, um, would you rather be a werewolf or a vampire? Or that, a lycanthrop? Yeah, you know, I like dogs just fine. I wouldn't want to turn into a dog. If I were a vampire, I could be as sexy as I am now. And immortal. <laughs> that wouldn't be so bad. I mean, I'm a vegetarian, so that'd be kind of a thing to adjust to, but I'd make it work. <laughs> good answer, good answer. Would you rather be trapped at sea on a ship with Jaws t uh, um, trying to attack you or alone on a spaceship with a xenomorph from Alien? Uh, you know, I'd go for the xenomorph. The xenomorph's going to kill me faster. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good answer again. Good answer. I mean, the shark's just an animal. It's just hungry. It would feel bad to like fight back against the shark, but the xenomorph are like, okay, why are you here? Just kill me, man. Go, go land on the, you know, in DC and prove that aliens exist. Do your job. No, nah, I'm gonna be Vasquez. You remember Vasquez? For the... She was badass. <laughs> yeah, she she committed suicide. I've never seen either of those movies. So. Oh. oh my God. You never seen Jaws? No. Um. Shaw. Oh, Shaw's back. Cool. Cool. All right, yeah, no, we can, there's many, many, many horror movies I have not seen. We could go on for a long time talking about that, but, so, Sean, would you rather be, or excuse me, do you prefer, or would you rather be chased by fast zombies or slow zombies? Would, yeah. There's I think it's more, different. which do you prefer? If oh. you're a horror film, but okay, fast there, zombies there. or there. slow zombies? That's a better way to phrase it, yeah, sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> I, I think with slow zombies, 
either way, you're just waiting for a GM intrusion to say, oh, one of them falls out of a closet <laughs> or suddenly gets a burst of speed. Uh, with a fast zombie, you at least know what you're getting. Like, zombie's fast, I better get in a car and go. Yeah. Good answer, good answer. All right. So if you had to possess a uh, possessed object, would you rather face Christine, the car, you know, Stephen King, or Chucky the doll? Uh, I'd rather I'd rather have Christine. I feel like you could like kind of work out a deal with Christine. Like that's what she did in the book and in the movie. She found her guy that's like gonna be her her little buddy there. Chucky's just a jerk and he's killing people <laughs> if he wants to and he talks and he's obnoxious and I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> that's a great answer. Good answer. Would you rather read Lovecraft or Stephen King? I think I'd reread some Stephen King stuff or read some of the newer stuff. Um, I mean, I've enjoyed reading Lovecraft, but there is kind of a formula to it in that something's happening, it's weird, oh, and I see, you see something off camera and it's described in like, I can't explain it, I can't describe it. So you have to use your imagination, which is like, yes, but every single time, HP, seriously, <laughs> something once. Um, I don't know, they're, they're, they have their ups and downs. So I'll give you a wishy-washy. Flip coin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, would you rather be the girl from Firestarter or the guy from Scanners? Ooh, you know the I guy. Know, from I Scanners know you had, this. He had a <laughs> lot of different powers. Like when I first watched that movie, and he started connecting to that computer over the phone, I'm like, "That's stupid! How could he do that?" But then, like you know, telepathically talking to computers became such a common trope in in modern horror that it was like very. Uh, Good at foreshadowing what was coming out there. So I think, yeah, being able to explode people's brains and talk without having to use a modem, that'd be pretty awesome. Nice. But again, also, you know, starting fires and being like Drew Barrymore starting fires, that's also pretty cool. Because, you know, everybody's gotten that level of anger when you get cut off on the the freeway or whatever. You can, like, oh, I'm just going to blow up their car. Scanners is such an underrated movie. I'm surprised they haven't remade that movie. I hope they don't. They'll ruin it. <laughs> I, I didn't say it was a good thing. I, I said I was surprised they haven't tried to. Yeah, you know, Scanners is one of my favorite movies. Scanners and Videodrome. Those Cronenberg. Yeah, all Videodrome was awesome. So, at any rate, what scares you the most? Well, if you mean, like, in terms of real-life stuff, I'm actually a germaphobe. Um, so, like, if you catch me at a convention, I always have hand sanitizer with me, and my roommate makes fun of me because, like, I don't like to take out the trash. That's her job because I'm just, like, touching garbage. It's, it's horrible. Um, in terms of, like, horror sort of stuff, I think, like, something that would possess me and give make me lose control over my own body that is pretty horrifying uh there like my grandmother started to suffer some from dementia when she was older and just kind of lo- it, it's kind of a similar sort of thing of losing your cognitive ability over yourself and possession is similar sort of fears so i could totally see myself being i'm a prisoner in my own body do i am i aware of this and so that's horrifying gotcha. most definitely well and, and, uh, and the, the thing when you said you're a germaphobe, you know, again, this is the, the creative writer gamer seen 1200 movies and read, you know, 20,000 books guy. The first thing I thought about was putting you in an Andromeda strain, <laughs> type of, uh, 
you know, type of game and see how you handle it, you know. So I can run now. We got the horror rules, and I can run the Andromeda <laughs> strain and drag it crazy. <laughs> but you have to get my consent first. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, how old were you when you first saw Exorcist? Because that's the only movie that ever scared me. Well, I want to say 15. I grew up in the era where, you know, uh, HBO was replaying the same movies over and over for a month and the start of the, the video cassette revolution. So we watched a lot of stuff from the early 80s just over and over again. Yeah, over. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and little, little Regan doing all of her creepy stuff. And I, I loved the, the remastered version where they added a few more like subtle Captain Howdy things in the background where you're just like, did I just see that? Oh, <laughs> that subliminal stuff is great. Yeah, the Most smoke definitely. and mirrors in those days were awesome. Like, like I said, certain movies. I tell you, a movie that scared me and it really wasn't supposed to be scary, but Altered States. Well, Al that, Altered that was a pretty good movie. Yeah, it was, but it it had some, you know, that that shifting and stuff messed with me a little bit. I mean, there's only two movies that really scared me. One was The Exorcist, and this one's kind of funny, but Deliverance scared the crap out of me as well. There's something about the, you know, the, you know, being alone in the woods and some deranged family or just a deranged, you know, it's it's just scary. And Deliverance really wasn't a horror horror movie. It's more psychological horror, but that was a pretty scary movie. Um and I just want to touch on this because I again I haven't seen many movies, but um one horror movie I really did enjoy um is that documentary style movie called Paranormal what? Activity. Oh, okay. I mean, no, no, oh, not, not paranormal activity. Um, damn, I'm blanking on the actual name now. Fuck, I fucked up. What, Blair, it, no, 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 no. It's like they're in a mental hospital. Uh, it's never mind. Grave, grave encounters. <laughs> grave encounters. It's oh, grave. Okay. I always forget the name, but I love that movie. I never watched a movie more than once, but I've seen it like five times. Um, it's like a documentary style, style type thing where you know these people are going into a mental, like a, an abandoned mental institution, um, and they're actually thinking it's gonna be like they do it as a hoax, like hey, you know we're gonna joke around, whatever, and it turns out to be real, and yeah, and then there's a whole following of that, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, it wasn't particularly scary though, <laughs> but it was very enjoyable. So well, again, I don't mean to cut anybody up, but again, you know the, the the concept of horror, certain things that aren't supposed to be horror to me are horror movies you know like you know most things that if if there's a way for me to combat it somehow you know where you know my power isn't taken away I'll, I'll just die fighting i mean i can't beat a vampire but guess what you know i'm gonna i'm gonna be taking a swing you know that's how i think about it but the stuff that's scary is the stuff you can't control that you have no control over like sean was saying you know disaster movies are, are a bit of a horror movie to me like you know uh you know what is it the 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 one where the where the, the world froze over you know and it was just what could you day do tomorrow yeah yeah day after tomorrow yeah you know it's stuff like that is is traumatic i guess you could say you know well post-apocalyptic is a horror genre and disaster movies are really just the transition from normal life to post-apocalyptic so yeah, yeah that is a, that is a real adult fear of hey what happens if a bomb goes off in the city or there is an outbreak of plague or whatever like that is a thing that potentially could really affect you in real life and so people might be really scared by that most definitely so, so sean i, I, I want to share this story because you mentioned paranormal activity and kind of obliquely mentioned the blair witch project 
So when I when the Blair Witch Project came out, I was working at Wizards of the Coast, and my friend Cindy Rice had some contacts in Hollywood, and they had sent her an early copy of the movie. And so she just wandered by my desk like, hey, we've got this movie, this scary movie. Like, we, we're going to watch it, and you want to come? And so we went to the big giant lounge at the Wizards of the Coast office. Uh, it's just this we could fit you know 60 people in there it had a big screen tv and it was like 8 p.m on a thursday night i was working late on a project and so it's me and like 20 other people from wizards of the coast watching blair witch project having no idea at all about it and so we're just totally bought into the concept of this is actually found footage and we watched this movie and it was so scary that the movie ended and all of us just kind of looked at each other and quietly walked through the dark Wizards of the Coast office at 10 p.m. back to our desk. And we're like, <laughs> and like, you know, grabbing our coats and going our cars in the dark. And like, it was just such a weird, unique experience. Like, going out with 30 people that I know watching this scary movie in our office and being scared in a place that we were so comfortable with, but so unnerved at the same time. That was great. That's awesome. that's actually incredible. Like going into watching something like Blair Witch, not really know, never having heard about it before. Like it's just that again, you think it's found footage, and it's it's it's. That's a reason why I like Grave Encounters a little bit. It's like the similar sort of like found footage documentary style type thing. But it's it's awesome that you got to experience that like fresh without any like yeah. <laughs> nice. So I know Blair um, Witch scared a lot of people too when it came out. It, was it like did. A big thing. It did. It, it was, you know, they marketed it very smartly is what they did. So, you know what, Sean, again, thank you so much for coming. That was the last question we had for you. Um, we really appreciate you coming. We also really, really, I, I can't sing the praises of Stay Alive enough. You know, as Anthony said, it was the book he was looking forward to the most. Um, I read the book cover to cover in one night and read the uh setting section twice that night so i was like totally and utterly blown away and the first thing i told the guys like we got to get sean on we got to talk about this <laughs> great and you know we will definitely take you up on the offer you know to you know play in a cypher shirt with you we'll stream it and definitely run you through some of our horror stuff that we've done you know, we'll tweak it now that we have the Stay Alive book because the, the toolkit is awesome. You That's know, because um, I read a version of Stephen King's The Mist. You oh, know, yeah. it called Shadows. Yeah, we I did it with Darkness instead of a Mist, and uh, Anthony did the thing. And I Al, had even I have a horror game too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he did, he did the, the teenage slasher film. So we all got some stuff for you, Sean. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Yeah. I, I have a whole list of horror games. Yeah, but, um, I'm really flattered. I'm very glad that you have enjoyed the book so much. That means a lot. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's actually yeah, it incredible. But um, yeah, so thank you so much for being on. You know, it's been a blast as usual. Uh, thank you everybody out there for watching. Um, you know, it's been an amazing interview. Um, and thank you for sticking by through the whole thing. If you were, or you know, if you came for a little while, thank you so much. Um, you know, be sure to follow our Twitch page. Um, eventually, we'll be getting to um, affiliate status. We just got to cross a few T's, dot a few I's. So we'll be getting, you know, the ability to have subscribers and such too. Sharing with bits, ETC. Um, look forward for that in the future. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be also uploading this to YouTube later.
Um, you know, once we're all done here, we'll be on YouTube uh, tomorrow, most likely. You know, if you want to share it with friends who weren't able to uh, watch it right now. Thank you for the follow, Mr. Fizzer. <laughs> it's awesome. That helps the channel so, so much. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, but before we get going, uh, Sean, how can people reach you online? Like Twitter, Facebook, like what's the best way to get into the mind of Sean Reynolds? Uh, I do have a page on Facebook for just my game design. So it's not my personal page. Uh, it's just Sean K Reynolds game designer. Um, I'm also on Twitter under Sean K Reynolds. And, uh, that's the main way that people will get to me. I do want to say I have a couple of plugs, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by so all means. Plug number one, Stay Alive, is available now. It actually just released uh, earlier this morning, so you, it'll be, it's available in, in game stores any minute now. You can get it from the MCG shop. Um, plug number two is MCG has... This is right now. Uh, MCG has a new Humble Bundle that also launched today. There's a bunch of stuff for The Strange in the Cypher system. It's a really good deal if you just want to get your eyes on how the cypher system works and get a bunch of really cool products, mainly by Bruce Cordell, who is an awesome designer. Um, third plug is MCG has been planning to do a Kickstarter for the tallest fantasy campaign setting. And shh, don't tell, but Kickstarter launches next week. Oh, <laughs> you guys heard it here first next week, guys. That's very if, exciting. If you like fantasy and you also like horror, definitely check out Tallis because one of the ideas of Tallis is that it's this city built next to this like mile high spire. And the reason why that spire is there is because long ago there was some wizard who said, I'm going to take all the evil in the world and lock it away so it won't be out there polluting stuff. And all this concentrated evil in these vaults that he built were just so vile that the earth itself said, nope, I'm pushing you away. And so now there's this spire and there's this weird evil demigod sort of ruined tower up on the top of it. So there's a lot of weird old god and evil stuff in, in, and horror in Talos as well. Those are my plugs. All Talos, very exciting stuff. All great. Phenomenal. Um, and I loved Talos when it came out originally and I can't wait for it for Cypher. Most we played definitely. a ton of that growing up. So I mean, it's new to me, but from what I've been seeing about it, it looks extremely exciting. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, thank you so much again for being on, you know, again, always a blast, always a pleasure as usual. Thank you, guys. Um, and to everyone who just heard the announcement, if you don't have Stay Alive, go buy it right now. It's amazing. <laughs> PDF or physical, like, however you can get your hands on it, get your hands on it, because outstanding material. Um, and, uh, yeah, any final thoughts, fellas, before I close this yeah, out? and also next week, if you want a more in-depth review and walkthrough of Stay Alive, it'll, we'll, it'll be up on our YouTube channel the following Wednesday. We're doing a full review, even though you kind of know what our opinions are for watching this video. We're going to give you a, a little better walkthrough of the actual book and all the goodies and, you know, spooky, creepy things that are in there. So, um... Next Wednesday, we'll have a full walkthrough of Stay Alive up on our YouTube channel. And um, only thing I'm going to say is, like Sean said, that Humble Bundle is pretty awesome. If you go for the top tier, you'll also get a copy of the new revised edition of the Cypher System rulebook, as well as Stars Are Fire. So that bundle is awesome. You know, um, if I didn't have everything that was in the bundle, I'd be buying it. Actually, I might buy it for a friend of mine because he needs he needs uh, Cypher System in his life. 
Most likely. A quick thing, quick thing, Sean, before you leave. Is God forsaken the next book on deck? We are all mad here. I'm not, all... Yeah, I think we are all mad here is the next one. Shauna has just finished doing her design pass and it's going to go to everything. Um, and Monty's still doing design for God forsaken. So God forsaken will be after math. Okay. I'm so excited for that book too. <laughs> yeah honestly all of them but yeah um you know that's something we'll probably have another discussion about in the future when it actually releases uh but yeah again thank you so much sean for being on thank you everybody for watching again be sure to follow the channel when we put this up on youtube be sure to uh like share and subscribe you know share that video out once it's on youtube again helps us grow our you know community more and more and oh uh, yeah we can continue to have awesome people on like sean and um yeah, we'd look forward for some more exciting stuff in the future from us. Um, you know, thank you guys again for being so awesome. Thank you, Sean, for being so awesome. Anthony and Dean, also awesome. Love, <laughs> love you guys. And uh, yeah, um, you know, from us at the CU, we will see you later. Peace. All right, stream is down. <laughs>